This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Hello and thanks for downloading today's podcast. I'm Jamie Long. It's Friday, March the 18th. And of course, we start today with more news on P&O ferries. We now understand more about what's happened and we'll be getting reaction to the news from across Kent. So what do we know so far? Early yesterday morning, all P&O services, including routes between Dover and Calais, were cancelled with all ships returning to port. Passengers and lorry drivers were left confused as to why their sailing had been cancelled, as were the staff members who also at the time had no further information. Just after lunchtime yesterday, a boss from P&O Ferries informed employees that their contracts had been terminated with immediate effect and that the services were going to be run largely by agency staff instead. Well, let's take a listen to that video call in which staff were told the news yesterday. The company has made the decision that its vessels going forward will be primarily crewed by a third-party crew provider. Therefore, I am sorry to inform you that this means your employment is terminated with immediate effect on the grounds of redundancy. Your final day of employment is today. Made redundant with immediate effect over Zoom. Well, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps says it isn't the way things should be done. If you need to reshape your company, if you need to make people redundant, there's a, there are laws and rules to do that. And one thing not to do is record a, a video on Zoom and play it 30 minutes before people are dismissed. If you need to get rid of people because you need to change the shape of a company, you need to get down, sit around a table with them and discuss those redundancies. And I want to see the P&O management do that even now. It's not too late for them to sit down with workers, sit down with the unions, and I'll be putting pressure on all sides for them to to do that. But I'll be going further. I'll be looking at whether there are uh, contracts the government might have uh, with P&O. I've asked my officials and legal teams to look at that, whether they uh, exist. Uh, And I'll also be working very hard to make sure that those people who've given, in many cases, decades to P&O of their lives, that they're re-employed. Last night, my phone was ringing from major blue-chip British companies who are saying, we're short of staff, Uh, I'd like to be put directly in touch, and I've already spoken to my colleague, uh, Theresa Coffey, Department of Work and Pensions, to make sure that's all hooked up. We're going to get these uh, people uh, looked after. I want to see P&O do that themselves. The company said immediate changes had to be made because the business had lost around £100 million per year over the last two years. All protests against the job cuts have been held in Dover today. Here's our reporter, Sam Williams. I'm down in Dover this afternoon where hundreds of people had gathered for a march all the way from Snargate Street to the port of Dover along the A20, blocking the roads in the town as they walk through the streets in solidarity after hundreds of people were sacked by P&O yesterday in a shock announcement that's left more than 800 people without a job. Protesters are holding banners, some are holding flags. They're calling for action. Some have also been chanting, seize the ships. Some have been chanting, they say no pay, we say no way. I also had a chance to speak to Natalie Elphick, who is the MP for Dover. 
Here's what she had to say. What's happened is an utter disgrace, and P&O Ferries ought to change their mind. DP World ought to back the business, as we have backed P&O for decades here in Dover. What does it mean to the community for people to show support for the workers? Um, obviously, this is a port town. A lot of people know someone who works at P&O. They've worked there themselves. We are a port town, and people have worked for P&O for decades and for the other ferry operators. This has absolutely been a stab in the back um, for P&O and DP World, their owners. They need to rethink and change their mind. They need to reinstate these jobs, and they need to support the workers and the people of Dover in the way that we have supported and worked for them over decades. Well, Trevor Bartlett is the Conservative leader of Dover Council. He went along to the protest today and says the way it's been handled by P&O ferries is unacceptable. I think it's absolutely disgraceful behaviour to treat people like this. Um, I can understand if a company isn't doing well, and obviously they don't appear to be, and uh, we've come through the pandemic um, and things have obviously hit them very hard, but... There's ways and means of going around trying to uh, sort staff out. And I just think this is just unacceptable. It's just not on. This came as a huge blow and a surprise to us. Um, we tried to get in contact with them, but uh, nothing. No, the door was completely shut. We're still trying to work out what exactly we can do as a district council. But whatever we can do, we will try our hardest to sort something out with them. Um, we are speaking, and I have yesterday um, for quite a bit of the time, spoke to Natalie Elphick, our MP, and um, we are trying to see what we can do collectively together to help them. Well, a solicitor has told the Kent Online podcast that action by P&O Ferries raises big legal questions. Adam Pennington specialises in employment law at Stevenson's and says the company seemed to have failed to comply with legal obligations. There are minimum consultation periods that businesses need to go through when they're making redundancies on such a scale. In this case, those members of staff should have been consulted with for at least 45 days before the first dismissal takes place. By the sounds of it, these employees were broadcasted a recorded um, teams recording of uh, an announcement that they were to be dismissed. Um, and if that's the case, it must have been um, must be very difficult for those employees. And um, they've not had an opportunity to put forward any suggestions that may, they may have had to, to avoid that situation. Redundancy is a potentially fair reason to dismiss someone. Um, the, the problem that P&O may face is that that failure to consult with members of staff means they have missed an opportunity um, to, to consider what alternatives to dismissal those employees may have put to them. And if some of those suggestions may well have altered the course of, of, of P&O's decision making, an employment tribunal could find that they've been unfairly dismissed. Um, that could result in payments of compensation for those particular individuals. Um, the only approach I can see that P&O could take in these circumstances is to say, well, yes, we didn't follow a process. However, such a process would have been futile in the circumstances because a dismissal was inevitable. It's not clear yet um, how strong a defence that will be until, um, until we know further information as to um, what the details were around and surrounding the financial viability of the business. P&O has suggested it's been losing a substantial amount of money year on year. But again, not allowing those employees an opportunity to put forward their case 
and that's likely to disturb the overall fairness of the decision to dismiss. In addition to that, at the very least, those members of staff are, are going to be entitled to what's called a protective award. That's an award that the tribunal can pay out where those minimum consultation periods have not been complied with. Um, so subject to a review of those cases, it seems, uh, as I say, at the very least, there are some awards of compensation that, that are going to be owed to these members of staff, regardless of how long they've worked there. And we're hearing agency staff are being brought in to run P&O ferry services going forward. What employment differences does that bring with it? The slight difference with the agency works is that they won't be employed by P&O. But strangely enough, agency staff can sometimes cost more than, than employees themselves. So it'd be interesting to see what the cost saving benefit is there. I know P&O uh, have suggested that the cost of seafare is um, are higher in, in, in Britain and France, but it'd be interesting to see how that compares with the cost of the agency workers that they're bringing in. The agency workers won't be direct employees of P&O, uh, and their rates will be negotiated with the um, with the agency itself. Meanwhile, a number of companies across Kent are offering jobs to those who lost theirs at P&O ferries yesterday. Dover-based coach firm Bayliss Executive Travel is one company offering support and finance for a licence to become a bus driver. Alistair Bayliss has been speaking to our reporter Lucy and says the way P&O dealt with the situation wasn't morally correct. It doesn't sit right with me. Definitely, and it clearly doesn't sit right with with so many people up and down the, the country. You can see that politicians are getting involved. I mean, what can you say to these people? You know, that I've I've had I've probably had ten phone conversations, and the first thing it says, "How are you doing?" And then I realise, crikey, why have you said that? You know, how, how are you doing? How do you think they're doing, Alistair? You know, what, what an idiotic thing for me to say, but you know, it's 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 rotten, really, isn't it? It's not great. Yeah, awful for all of them and, and their families as well. I mean, it's such an uncertain time. Um, and tell me a bit about the support that you're offering. So we are short of drivers as an industry. And after speaking with Jason yesterday, I just thought, crikey, this could be a win-win for everybody. If we can if we can offer some of these guys, you know, the opportunity to come and work for us, we're giving a little bit something back. And of course, we're benefiting because, because you know, I'm getting fed up driving the school bus every morning, I've got to be honest. So. Um, you know, it will help us enormously as, as a company. Um, the, the, the thought process is it's about £2,000 £2, to get your coach licence, your, your PCV. And uh, we've been contacted by a training centre to say, we think this is a great initiative. You know, we want to support you in that as well. So even if we get four or five that, that, that would like to come and join us and work within, within a close-knit, you know, community that we are as a business, we're very close. All of our, all of our staff are close. Then, then you know it, it's a win-win really, and it's it's nice that we're able to, to 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 hopefully help out if you like. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Elsewhere today, Sarah Everard's killer, Wayne Cousins, has been charged with four counts of indecent exposure. The offences are said to have happened in the Swanley area between January and February last year. The 49-year-old former Met police officer from Dill is serving a whole-life sentence for kidnapping and murdering Sarah last March. Her body was found in Woodlands near Ashford. 
Anti-vaxxers have been accused of ruining lampposts in Herne Bay. £20,000 were spent on repainting streetlights between Lane Ends and William Street last spring, but several have since been damaged by stickers showing conspiracy messages. The council's promising a crackdown, which could include fines for those caught flyposting. Now at Kent Online, you can see a video of what could be the county's filthiest lay-by. Bottles of urine, tyres and plastic bags are among the rubbish dumped along the 300-metre stretch of road at Ropersole off the A2 near Barham. There are calls for fencing and bins to be installed, but the council say they first need to resolve some land ownership issues. Kent Online News. Elsewhere, the range has opened a new store in Ashford this morning. It's filled the old John Lewis units overlooking Drover's roundabout and will feature a mini Iceland and a cafe. Leanne's been chatting to customers outside the new shop. Obviously, you're here for the opening today. Yes. Are you excited for it? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because we usually go down to one in folks and love it. And our, one of our old colleagues is the manager here. It's one of the managers here. So we're kind of coming in to see him. Yeah. Are you pleased to finally have one in Ashford? Then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, make me come in. I never come to John Lewis. I didn't, I didn't visit no, the area. Too, too expensive. expensive. So this is perfect. And Iceland did it as well. So yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm looking forward to. I believe there was one here. Yeah, I didn't even know that there was one opening here until my friend told me actually. So yeah, it's good. I've only been in one once before. I'm a bit of an art buff, so I like like collecting all the art um, and craft things. So yeah, it's good. They've got a massive art and craft section in there, so know, you should be happy. That's what I spent all my money on in the last range I went in. <laughs> it was like craft stuff. So, yeah, and obviously it was John Lewis before. Did you ever pop here when it was John Lewis? I think I never actually went into the main store, but I went round the back to do like a buy online thing. But um, yeah. other than that, I never went in because my kids would like break stuff. So <laughs> I didn't want to go in because I think the entranceway was all like glass ornaments and things. I was just like, it's just not worth it. So, yeah. Do you think the range will do better than John Lewis did then in Ashford? Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. I think there's a lot of people, because it's got such diversity, hasn't it? So I think there's a lot of people that will come along and want to, you know, buy stuff from it. Well, the store's manager, Charlie Robinson, is also hoping it'll prove popular. Oh, it's amazing. The atmosphere is exciting. Everyone's excited. Yeah, it's really good. Pleased with it so far? Oh, yeah, definitely. And obviously, just keep coming in. So the day will be busy, we'll be proactive, oh, just, just fun, just enjoy it while we can. And so. it's early days as well, but have um, you had good feedback from customers? Oh yeah, good feedback from customers, especially also where our staff live in the area, all their friends, oh, I can't wait for the store in Ashford. So yeah, it's going to be so much excitement. Kent Online News. Now, developers of a new 4,000-home garden city near Canterbury have been told to pump millions of pounds into new schools across the district. Council bosses have set out a list of infrastructure projects for Corinthian, who are working on plans for Mountfield Park. The £51 million for schools would help offset the effects of the house building on the area. And finally, we've been given a first look at the restoration of Sheerness's historic clock tower. It was first installed in 1905 to mark the coronation of King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. Since being dismantled in September, its parts have been repainted and it's on track to return to the town centre in May. You can see pictures over at Kent Online. Well, that's all for today's podcast. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also subscribe to the ad-free premium version. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe.
News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.